Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today. Our topic today is a compelling one. How do we keep kids curious? Here's what we know. As students get older, they tend to ask less questions. As students get older, they're more apt to be asked to sit and listen for longer periods of time at school. As students get older, they're often more reluctant to take learning risks. So how can we keep kids curious? And does it matter? So to talk about that, I've invited, brace yourself, a curiosity expert, Gerald Oxt, to join our conversation today. Hey, Gerald. Hi, Susie. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad you're here. I want to share three things about you. Um, I, first of all, I love your title you go by. Gerald goes by the title Curiosity Engineer. I love that. He is a national presenter, a gifted support specialist, a classroom teacher, a digital learning expert. Uh, he's the author of the Corwin book, Five Principles of the Modern Mathematics Classroom. He's also an organizer of EdCamp Philly and AllAboutExplorers.com. So where I'd like to start today, Gerald, is first just tell us a little bit about out, a little more about your background and where you, you got this passion for keeping kids curious. Sure. So my, my whole teaching career has been uh, at the elementary school level. I started as a classroom teacher. And uh, then one year, my principal came to me and uh, said that he wanted me to uh, uh, to take the role of the gifted support specialist in the in the school. And so I've been, since about the year 2000, I've been working in gifted education. Um, and, you know, a big part of that job is figuring out how to uh, engage students and figuring out how to really kind of meet their their unique individual needs. Um, you know, in, in all of my work, I really noticed that uh, student interest in school and learning kind of like we said in the in the intro really drops off. Um, and even even some kids start as early as second or third grade with that drop off. And it just got me wondering about, you know, what is it that causes that? Um, you know, how can I, uh, you know, how can I kind of reverse that trend or prevent that from happening? Um, and so I started really looking into how to tap into student interests and passions. Um, problem was when I started to ask kids about what are you interested in, you know, what are you passionate about, what do you want to learn, uh, a lot of times they would just say, I don't know. Um, so that really, that really prompted an exploration for me of, you know, what is it that actually makes um, kids curious and what keeps people uh, curious as they get older? Okay. So one thing I was reading, I was reading a, a presentation that you do, and this, this kind of, well, uh, ignited my curiosity is uh, you distinguish curiosity from engagement. So I'm curious if you'll share a little more on that, because I'm thinking if a student is authentically engaged, then that maybe there's some curiosity there. Where am I off track, on track there? Kind of go there a little bit for us. No, you're absolutely right. But I think the key to their, the key to what you just said is really the word authentically engaged. Um, Bill Ferreter says that uh, engagement, the way we typically use the word engagement, is about getting kids excited about our content and our interests and our curriculum. Um, and I believe that curiosity is really the root of, of true empowerment for students, which is helping them find their own passions and their own interests. Um, and I think if a student is authentically engaged, um, they're doing it by their choice and on their terms. But but usually what we talk about with engagement is getting them to buy into what we want them to learn. 
Okay, so that's really interesting for me. So how do I do that a little bit if, you know, we all have our pacing guides, we've got our curriculum, we've got our learning targets, this is what I'm teaching. So help me out a little bit and help teachers out a little bit. How do I tap into what they want to know and they're curious about and also do what I'm being asked to do here? Yeah, so that's a that's a big um, uh, that's a big thing, obviously, because uh, you know, and there's there's research out there that talks about um, you know some of the things that uh, psychologists say or neurologists say about what what promotes curiosity, um, and I think if we can learn about what some of those things are, we can build experiences that really honor uh, kids interests and kids curiosity while still tacking on the um uh you know the the learning goals that we have to accomplish because of the pacing guide and the and the district curriculum and the state standards and all of that stuff okay so one thing that I, when i i looked at some of your work you talk about you say that we are wired to wonder does that change as a student gets older now i'm largely a secondary middle high school person uh, so I'm curious because, you know, I'm also a mom. So I see how curious they are as small children. And so, and I know that as they get older, the curriculum just gets so packed. Are they still wired to wonder as they get older? Share a little bit on that. Yeah. So, so uh, where that phrase came from really is when I learned that, you know, what the, what the science says about our brains, you know, our brains are really built for curiosity. It's something that's wired into us. It's hardwired into us. And I don't believe that that changes as we get older. Um, you know, if you look at young kids, preschoolers, you know, toddlers, uh, they're really displaying kind of that raw, unfettered, undirected curiosity. Everything is new to them. Everything's interesting. They just wonder about everything about how the world works. Um, I think the problem comes because that as adults, we are really kind of relentless in training kids, especially in school, uh, to sort of ignore and suppress their own curiosity. And we tell, we teach them to stop asking questions. Um, you know, we like to say that there's no such thing as a stupid question, but if you really dig down, I don't know how often, you know, we really believe that, um, you know, we tend to shut down questions when we think that they're off task or off topic. So I think what happens is that the older kids have just learned to quit asking questions and quit wondering things about, uh, you know, quit wondering around adults. Um, but if you spend time with them, if you, if you kind of observe how they are when they're alone or among peers, they are still relentlessly curious about the things that matter to them. They pursue those things. They investigate those things. They, they research them online. They talk about them a lot. Uh, they've just stopped doing it in school. Well, that, that's something to think about, isn't it? So I hope that we're not at school sort of, uh, you know, sort of, sort of diminishing their curiosity. We're not meaning to do that, but I'm sure hoping that's not happening. Is there a connection between curiosity, prior knowledge, and maybe even intellect, or is every child curious? Um, well, the short answer to that is every child is curious, yes. Um, but I think there are things that um, that can interact with that, things that, that can, can promote it or, or squelch it. Um, you know, common sense, I think, tells us that the less you know something, the more curious you're likely to be. Um, but brain research actually tells us that you can't 
be curious about something um, it, if you know very little about it. If you know nothing or you know very little about something, you can't actually be curious about it. Um, but it's also possible to know too much or at least to believe that you know too much. Um, there's something that I call a curiosity curve. Um, as you start to learn more about a brand new subject, uh, your curiosity starts to increase until you get very confident in your expertise in the subject. Once you believe that you are uh, an expert and that you know a lot about it, then that's the point where curiosity actually starts to decline. So there's a sweet spot sort of in the middle where you need to know something about a subject, but you also need to know that there is stuff that you don't know yet. And that's where the curiosity is, is kind of the, the most powerful. Um, so that's, that's where that prior knowledge piece comes in. You have to know some background about something. Um, and that's a little bit of the catch 22 in school too, is that, you know, we need to find ways of getting kids curious about things that they have not had any background or experience with yet. Um, as far as the intelligence piece, um, there, uh, I think there's a perception that, intelligence and curiosity are related. Uh, from the outside, it's really hard to perceive what curiosity looks like in a student. Um, in fact, they've done some research, and when teachers are asked to rate the curiosity of students, they find that what they're actually reacting to is the student's intelligence. Um, and so what they're really rating is how, how intelligent a student is. I think the danger there is that when we perceive that a student who is more intelligent is also more curious, we miss a lot of opportunities to empower all students to ignite the, the curiosity that is built into them there. And, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm listening to you say, too, there's so much research on prior knowledge. And what we know from a lot of the research is if there's no prior knowledge, that's just too much ground to cover, period, to, you know, to really affect learning. So I get, that's interesting to me that, that there's also a connection between that and curiosity, which that really makes sense to me. So uh, in terms of common factors, what what help us a little bit here. What will make a learner curious? Are there some common factors you could talk about? Absolutely. So in some of the research that I've been doing, looking into what psychologists say, um, they've actually identified five different factors that uh, relate to curiosity and can activate it. Um, the research is still developing. Uh, curiosity is something that's really difficult to study. Um, but there, are the, this one model that I'm, that I was looking at, uh, talks about these five factors. So the first one is knowledge gaps. Knowledge gaps is when you recognize that there is uh, something you don't know about something uh, that can tend to activate your curiosity. A good example is if you know that you used to know something, but you've forgotten it, um, you tend to be curious about, oh, okay, I have to go back and find figure that out again or learn that again. Because I know I, I know I used to know that. I know I used to understand that, but I've forgotten it. So that's a good example of that knowledge gap piece. Um, the second factor is questions. So when, when the right kinds of questions are asked, um, how questions, what if questions, those can really kind of activate uh, curiosity in somebody. Uh, the third factor is mystery. Uh, when there's missing information uh, and you know that that information is missing or if there's some sort of incongruity there there is a a situation where the facts don't seem to match up um, with your with your own knowledge or even with each other that mystery tends to tends to provoke curiosity uh, the fourth 
factor is conflict. Um, and this can arise in storytelling situations. Anytime when there's an unknown resolution, you know, think about watching a sporting event. Um, we watch sports because we don't know what the outcome is. We're curious about what that conflict is and who's going to win the game. And, you know, when we know the outcome of the game, we're much, we're much less interested in watching the game. Um, and then the last factor is surprise. So anytime there's something surprising, novel, uh, humor is, is a big piece of this too. So humor is a lot often built on that, uh, surprise element. Uh, so those can, those things can also, um, prompt curiosity. Well, that's super interesting. So that kind of leads me to thinking about project-based learning, uh, because it seems to me that there might be some overlap there. Is that something that you would encourage in terms of fostering curiosity? Uh, absolutely. And in fact, in my, my work as a gifted support teacher, you know, almost everything that I've done for the last 15, 16 years has been around that idea of project-based learning. And, and a big part of it is for that reason. Um, so think back to the curiosity curve I talked about. Um, if we try to make kids learn something that they know nothing about and they have no curiosity to learn that, um, the learning is going to be minimal. Um, but if we can give them an experience, it's some sort of interesting or intriguing experience that, that gives them a little bit of background information on that topic, um, they're going to be much more curious and want to, want to learn about that. So that's sort of the catch 22 of, of learning is, is we have to start with that experience that's going to give them some background knowledge before they know anything about it and before they'll start to, become curious about it. Um, so the key there, I think, is making that initial experience as engaging, as interesting, and as intriguing as possible. Um, there's another piece to the brain research uh, that that is that curiosity is kind of transferable. And the idea there is that if we are learning two things simultaneously and we're curious about one of them, we actually learn both of them better than if we weren't curious at all in the first place. So even the thing we weren't curious about, we learn better if we're learning it alongside the thing we are curious about. So that's uh, a great way to kind of tie in the uh, the required elements, you know, the required pieces of the curriculum and the required standards, if we, if we lay them next to stuff that the kids want to learn about, they're going to learn both of them better. And that's really where I think project-based learning is, is powerful because it's a way to package all of it together and kind of manage the process. So what we do is we design projects that have room for student choice, has room for flexibility for student interests, um, we want to give students uh, experiences in that project that are going to connect with their existing interests or that are going to provoke new ones. And then we build the project in a way that the state standards and those district curriculum goals kind of go along for the ride and get done in the process of the project um, rather than just kind of meaninglessly um, plowing through a list of of activities and exercises and and lessons that that drive home those goals without any meaningful connection. Well, that's some some really good guidance there and it's also making me think about just from a day-to-day -day basis like a next day step 
Um, I use a lot of menus and choice boards and in and, and a lot of my lessons and lesson design. And that's a way that we can give you four different choice, four different ways to show your work, four things here you might like. Choose one, you know, so that mm-hmm. something that I can be drawn to, I really like. I'm going to forget to do this. So before I forget, how can people reach you? How can people find you? What's your Twitter, your website and all of that? Absolutely. Uh, actually, everything is my name. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm Gerald Angst, uh, and uh, GeraldOngst.com is my website. Uh, and uh, if you want to email me, it's GeraldOngst at gmail.com. So just uh, just remember my name, and that's the easiest way to get in touch with me any of those places. All right. And Gerald also, he's on Myad Expert. So if you type his name in there, and it's A-U-N-G-S-T, he's got his bio there, and he has links to his website, links to Twitter, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm following you on Twitter, so I know where you you are on Twitter. So, all right. Engineering design process. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that connection with curiosity. Yeah. So uh, I am part of my role recently in my school is uh, my principal had asked us uh, or had decided that he wanted to put a makerspace into the school. And he asked me to kind of head up the process of designing that and running that. And so in the process of of learning about makerspaces and the maker movement, um, you know, a big part of that is the engineering design process. And, And very quickly, I realized that that has a lot of close ties with my interest and my curiosity about curiosity. Um, At its core, engineering is really just about a very simple thing. It's about designing and making something that is, uh, that's purpose is to solve a problem. Um, That's really, that's really all engineering is. And there are multiple different kinds of processes that professional engineers use to do their work. But there's an organization called Engineering is Elementary that has a great student-friendly version of that. Um, and in their version, they work through five different stages of a process. They start by asking questions, then they imagine, plan, create, and improve. And it's a cycle. So as you go through it, you are continuously improving and starting that cycle again to ask, imagine, plan, and create new um, versions of what you're designing. Um, the, the reason I think that connects so well with curiosity is that in every stage of the process, what we're doing is we're really encouraging students to think creatively and expansively. It's not a, it's not a deductive kind of reasoning process where, you know, similar to the way we teach elementary school math, you know, here's a problem, here's the right process for solving it. Just memorize this process and apply it every time you see this kind of problem and you'll be successful. Uh, It's much more inductive and open-ended than that. So we're really getting, trying to get kids to think of new ways, um, to think in new ways about what they're doing. Um, and every stage really involves wondering about what they could build or what they could do that would solve the problem that they're trying to, uh, trying to solve. Um, you know, if you think about those five curiosity factors too, it really connects with the, uh, solving an engineering problem. You know, as you're exploring this problem, uh, students, realize that there are knowledge gaps. There are things that they don't know enough about yet, and then they need to go learn that in order to solve their problem. Um, there are questions that are asked all the time, and, and, and the process encourages students to ask their own questions. Um, there's mystery involved. You know, there, Just the simple question of, you know, we're going to make this thing. Is it going to work? Um, there's conflict when they try to test their designs. Things don't work as they planned, and they have to figure out how to resolve that. Um, and inevitably there is surprise when they get unexpected challenges that crop up or, 
Um, you know, one of the things that I like to do is in the middle of a, in the middle of an engineering challenge, I might deliberately introduce, um, some unexpected, uh, obstacle that they're going to have to work through. Oh, by the way, uh, you're not allowed to use this tool anymore when you're working on this. See if you can figure out a way around that, uh, around that problem, you know, those kinds of things. Well, that sounds interesting. It makes me think there's a cooking show, isn't there? And the network where they take away the cooking tool kind of reminds me of that. That's kind of a fun, that's a fun approach. I never thought about that. Uh, One of the things you ask in your presentations is just, is very straightforward, is what makes you curious? Is that a question we should ask their students or will they just tell us, I don't know? How do we get at that? Yeah, well, like I said, I do ask that question and I think we should be asking it frequently, but but like I mentioned before, just asking that question by itself often gets that answer of I don't know or I, you know, I haven't thought about that. Um, I think I think until we've created a, an environment in the classroom that is uh, uh, that is conducive to it, it's just too open ended for most kids. So I think we should also ask more targeted questions like uh, what do you wonder about this topic? You know, now that we've now that we've learned a little bit about this, what are you wondering about it? Um, or what would you do if you had time during school to learn about anything at all? Or even more specifically, you know, if, if I gave you time to learn more about one of the things that we've been studying the last week or the last month, which one would you pick to learn more about? Um, another great one is to just ask kids, what do you want to make? Because it's a different uh, approach. It's a different way of thinking about it. Rather than saying, what do you want to learn? You know, what do you want to make? And learning will happen in the making process. Again, that's kind of a core piece of that, that whole maker movement. Um, I think the other thing we need to do is to start really becoming attuned to the clues that students give us about their own curiosity. You know, they're, they are, uh, if you ask them directly, they're going to have a hard time um, putting that into words. But Pay attention to what they talk about in unstructured moments. What are the things that they they are interested in and that they spend their own uh, personal time uh, talking about and thinking about? Um, find out the kinds of things that they do outside of school or in their in their off hours in school. You know, lunch and recess and and that sort of thing. Um, listen to the questions that they are asking, uh, even if. You know, they might ask a question in the middle of a lesson that might seem silly or off topic. Uh, rather than just dismissing that as let's get back on topic, um, you know, think about what they're asking. And, you know, over time, you might be able to discern patterns in the kinds of things that they ask or the way they ask it that can help us figure out what they're really curious about. You know, it's interesting. I was uh, interviewing for the podcast a writing expert, and she's really uh, has a, a real background in working with students who are reluctant writers. And one of the questions she uses is she'll say to them, what would you rather be doing than doing this writing? And then they will say, I'd rather like this. I like doing that. And then she starts from there and says, all right, let's talk about that. And we'll put that into your writing. And I just thought that was kind of masterful. Like, what would you rather be doing? If you could be doing anything right now, maybe it's a scary question to ask some days, mm-hmm. but I thought that was kind of an, an interesting interesting aspect of it too. If you're going through classrooms, you're walking through a building, you're peeking into classrooms and you could just look in, what would you say would be really good examples or get you fired up about nurturing curiosity? What are things that might get you excited that we might be doing? Um, really anything that's built around inquiry or problem solving or storytelling. Those are, those are really kind of the big ideas that are going to 
uh, have a lot of uh, leverage in fostering more curiosity. So when I see classrooms that are built around that, um, that is really exciting to me. Um, lessons and units that start and start with questions. You know, how might we do this? What if this happened? Um, those are those are really powerful things. Um, Classrooms where students have an outlet for expressing what they're curious about, um, maybe even if it's just a, uh, a bulletin board where they can post their questions and their ideas for things to learn. Um, you know, any any classroom that sh gives uh, gives voice to what students are are interested in and curious about uh, that sends a really important message. Um, you know, and another thing too is to is to. Uh, give students a way to record what they're learning and and uh, reflect on it and then go back and tell the story of their own learning journey. You know, if they're turning the learning experience into a story, that story itself will have conflict. It will have that conflict and mystery and peace that, again, uh, nurtures more curiosity. So it really becomes kind of a, a, a self um, self-promoting kind of thing. And when students are, are really curious and engaging in curiosity, are their what's going on in their brains at that time? Um, so the uh, psychologists and neuro neurologists really are, uh, they really haven't learned a lot yet about what curiosity is, but there are definitely some things that we do know about how it works. Um, there's one theory that curiosity is kind of a primary drive, like hunger or, hunger or thirst. Um, you know, if you think about it, we don't choose when we're hungry. We're just hungry, and that hunger drives us to eat. Uh, we don't choose when we're thirsty. We just are thirsty, and it drives us to drink. Um, and likewise, psychologists think that we can't choose to be curious. You know, we I can't decide that I'm going to be curious about something, but um, it it that curiosity when it exists drives us to learn something. Um, but just like the hunger and thirst, there are things that can uh, um, kind of amplify it or suppress it. There are things that can amplify or suppress curiosity. And that's really what we've been talking about is what are the things that we can do to, to activate and amplify the curiosity that's already there um, and get it going. Um, you know, I talked about that idea of how curiosity is transferable when you're learning two things together and you're curious about one, you learn both of them better. Um, another interesting research uh, outcome is that curiosity is really associated with dopamine in the brain. Um, dopamine is the neurotransmitter that makes us anticipate that something rewarding and pleasurable is coming. Um, and it's you know certainly a factor in uh, addictive behaviors. But interestingly, neurologists see very similar brain activity in people who are anticipating getting new information. In other words, when they're curious, as they do when people are anticipating some kind of uh, pleasurable reward. The neurological pathways are very similar. So in a very real sense, we are addicted to curiosity. Well, I've learned so much today about curiosity, and I so appreciate you sharing this with us. I'm going to start maybe, I've made a, quite a few notes here, and I want to uh, maybe mention a few of my big takeaways, although there are a lot from this session. And if you'll maybe add some things maybe teachers and leaders can take tomorrow into their buildings. One thing is we are wired for curiosity, that it is transferable, that there are factors of curiosity. And I really learned a lot on that and some things I could take into buildings of mystery, conflict, humor, questions. 
kids, uh, the connection between project-based learning and curiosity, that we don't want to inadvertently suppress curiosity. We want to nurture this curiosity with their questions. What are a couple of things that you could add for that? Um, I think, you know, uh, a lot of the things that we've talked about are things that uh, take time to plan and they take time to kind of build it build a culture in your classroom. And that's definitely worth doing. But if you wanted to just, if, if you wanted to some quick things that you could do right away that are going to have some impact, I think two things that you could do that would uh, make a big difference starting right away. Number one is invest some time getting to know your students better. Um, give them an interest survey, some sort of an interest inventory. Um, ask them to write about what their, what their interests are, what they do outside of school, or even sit down and, and schedule individual interviews with them to really get to know them better. And then I think the second thing is commit to encouraging more questions from students and less teacher talk in the classroom. The more you get students talking and asking their questions and honoring those questions that they're asking, the more you're going to promote an environment that really uh, facilitates that curiosity and, and lets kids know that the things they're curious about really matter. Well, I, I really appreciate those. And, you know, the the research is still showing that the bulk of a child's day is having to try to sit and listen to someone else talk. And I think that's our pressure that we're we're feeling to get this information out there to kids. And I we definitely have to have time for to listen to them and listen to what they're interested in and interest surveys. And I'm certainly on board with all of that. I am so glad that you joined us today. I never want to close the podcast without thanking every educator out there for creating possibilities in your classroom. Gerald and I both want to thank you for all that you do for keeping kids curious in your classroom every day. Gerald, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Well, thanks, guys, and see you next time. Every week we interview another great educational thought leader. Hope you join us again. Bye-bye. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert. 